0: Awesome. Thank you, guys. And uh, by the way, this is the last worship service that this Creeker band will lead all together. So Anne Claire, Emily, Grant have been leading every Wednesday night all year long. They have done it without a worship pastor to help them and teach them every week. They have done it without anyone coming in with instruction. They get together on their own on a Wednesday night. They pick their own songs. They do practice themselves so that we can sing every week. And without them, we're not singing every week. So can we just say thank you? Thank you. Yes. And don't let me forget Nikki back here on the tech stuff. He's always helping. I mean, like you don't realize like, like, we, we don't, we, we would not sing, we would sing acapella every week. We would just sing without music every week if we didn't have you guys. So thank you for leading us in worship each and every week this year. Um, yeah, super thankful. So, all right. All right, grab your Bibles and have something to take notes with. We're going to answer some questions. All right, hopefully this time will be helpful to you. And uh, strengthening, we've got about 30 minutes. So here's what I'm going to do. I, I still was working through questions that I got um, during the original time I asked you guys to put questions in the, in the box back there. So here's what we're going to do. We have some personal questions. We've got some that are kind of more like doctrinal questions. Um, so let's just see what we can do here. So first question says this, and these are your questions. And don't raise your hand if you're like, ooh, that was my question, okay? Stay anonymous. Okay, (laughs) I'm just helping you out there. All right, how can I best say no and not want to do things like drink or go too far when I am put in situations that could compromise my purity? Okay, so that's a good question, right? We all need that question. The question about how do I not compromise my purity how do I not go too far when I'm put in situations that could compromise my purity? Now, the answer, just in general, the answer to the question actually lies in the question. Okay, and let me tell you what I mean. The answer to how are you able to avoid compromising when put in situations that could compromise you um, the question is answered by, we can just say, we can avoid compromising situations by not putting ourselves in places where we could compromise our purity. Does that make sense? So the question of, how do I not go too far when I'm in this situation, may, some, may sometimes be an unavoidable circumstance you find yourself in. Maybe you, you literally were trying to avoid a bad situation, now you're in one, what do you do? That does happen, so we're not minimizing that. But most of the time, we can avoid compromising situations by putting a line in the sand that says, I won't even put myself in this particular place or around this particular person or alone in my room with my boyfriend or girlfriend or go to that party. Like, I'm not even going to go there right and so we avoid the situation altogether all right so let me give you some verses about this so go to second timothy 2 22 2 2, two, two. okay second 2 timothy 2, 22 someone want to read that for us In the room? Someone that gets there first? Anna, go ahead. So it says flee youthful passions. All right, that's lustful passions. And that's not necessarily only sexual lusts we're not talking about. We're talking about any sinful craving of the heart. It says flee. So the word is run, all right? So our our word is run from the situation, all right? Flee. It doesn't necessarily mean when you get in the situation, then flee. That is certainly true, right? When you find yourself tempted, run. But it means flee. It means avoid even going into the compromising situation, all right? Um, Let me show you another verse, Romans 13, 14. And we're going to try to get through as many questions as possible. So uh, we're going to hit these rapidly because I want to make sure people get their questions answered. All right, 13, 14. Romans 13, 14, I'll read this one for you. It says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And some of your translations might say, Make no opportunity for the flesh to gratify its desires. Okay? Okay so romans 13 14 so if you know if you know every time you hang around this group of people this friend group you know that they're going to show you something inappropriate on their phone you know it will happen how can you obey romans 13 14 You either have to do two things. You have to have the conversation with your friends before that ever comes up and says, hey guys, I know you might want to look at stuff that you think is funny on your phone and I do not want to look at it, so can we please not bring the phones out or not bring up whatever the app is that you're looking at, Instagram, TikTok, whatever that is, okay? YouTube, you can do that route. Or you can choose to not, Put yourself around that group of people in that situation to avoid it altogether. That makes sense? And that's kind of a hard thing to do. That involves some pulling away from some friendships that could be harmful to your walk with Christ. So I'm not saying don't love them. I'm not saying don't witness to them. I'm saying you might have to have a challenging conversation with them about not putting yourself in a compromising situation. All right? If every time you're with your girlfriend or boyfriend, you go too far every time or nearly every time, then the best thing you can do is to make a resolved boundary in moments of strength that say, we're not going to go past that line, all right? We're never going to hang out in your room by ourselves. Like, that's a line we will never cross, that's a boundary. You need to make that in a time of strength. Maybe it's, we won't hang out together after 9 p.m., because after 9 p.m., we're prone to go too far, so we're not going to do that. Or, we only hang out in groups. I knew people that were dating in their 20s, in their 20s, that they, at certain periods of the relationship, said, we can only date and be around each other in groups. In order to maintain our purity, in their twenties, why? Because they wanted to get married and they didn't want to sinfully break their purity before marriage, and they did not want to put themselves in a compromising situation. They're both believers. Okay, it's not crazy. It's not crazy. Okay, because if you remember, you lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, so you can follow Jesus. So if this is a weight and a sin, then you just remove it remove the situation. If every time you go to that person's house, you're prone to smoke, vape, drink, whatever that is, then you don't go to their house. That's it. That's the line, right? We don't go. You can hang out with me in a group, out in public, but I can't I can't go over there. You just tell them no. If they invite you, you say no. I I I cannot go there. Right? So the key is it's better to avoid the situation altogether. That way we don't make any opportunity to fall. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, because our walk with Christ is much more important than that. And if you think that you are so strong to say, well, I can, I can resist in that situation. I can go to the party and I can be in the bedroom and I'll resist. And I want to lovingly, kindly tell you that that is very foolish, okay? Because we are not as strong as we think we are. We're not. We're not not as strong as we think we are. No matter how Christian you are, no matter how much you've been in church, and no matter how much Bible reading and how many verses you have memorized about purity, you're not strong in that moment. I guarantee you. The, The strongest thing to do is avoid the situation completely so that you can honor Christ with whatever that is. Make sense? So two good verses. I feel like we've got that one down. Okay. All right. This question says, How do you hate the sin, but not the what? Sinner. Good. How do you hate the sin, but not the sinner? That's challenging as well, correct? Because we want to love people, And I talked about this on Saturday at the conference. We want to love people well, but we cannot affirm what they do. Okay? So if if someone is living a homosexual lifestyle or a transgender lifestyle or they are living in some sort of um, immoral lifestyle of whatever kind you think of, And you want to be a loving follower of Jesus to them, loving them does not equal affirming what they do. Okay? The reason is because yes, God is love, right? But God's love does not mean that God accepts and affirms every sin. We all know this, right? It is not loving for a parent to let their children do whatever they think is best for them. Okay, and I gave this illustration on Saturday. I'll give it again because a lot of you weren't there. So I have five kids. If my seven-year-old comes to me and says, and I love him dearly, if he says to me, I would like to go under the sink and grab the bleach and drink the whole gallon of bleach, is it loving for me to let him do that because he thinks it's best for him, right? No, right, that's insanity. That's not loving, that's, that is evil of me to let him do that, you see. Why, because he could die on the kitchen floor if he does that, right? So it's not loving to affirm sin And at the same time, we cannot hate the sinner either, all right? So because God is love, he does not affirm sin. In fact, he hates sin completely. And he died, he sent his son to die. Jesus comes to die to take away sin, not so that we can live in sin, right? So we have to think about these two things. So we need to be able to think about the fact That we cannot affirm sin, but we cannot hate the sinner too. We must love the sinner without affirming what they do. The only way we can really do this effectively is if we get a true grasp of how sinful we are. All right, So we can love a sinner well without hating them and being real nasty and judgmental and mean towards them. We can really love them truly. When we really understand how broken and sinful we we really are, right? So Titus 2, Titus, no, I'm sorry, it's 3, chapter 3, verse 2 through 5. Um, Titus is near the end of your New Testament after the Timothy's. Um, Titus 3 says this it says, Speak evil of no one, <clears throat> to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So what does that mean? Perfect courtesy toward all people. Don't hate anyone, love every sinner. And then listen Listen to the reason we can do that. For we ourselves were once foolish, we were once disobedient, we were led astray to various passions and pleasures and passing our days in malice and envy and hatred. Hating, uh, Hated by others and hating one another. So we were sinful and we were broken. We were sexually broken. We were lustful. We were lying. We were gossips. Everything. But, verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. So, We can love someone well and not hate them and not be unkind to them and not be evil toward them when we realize that we were so, so broken and sinful too. And God has had so much mercy on us to save us. That the only reason that we are a Christian is not because we're better than them, it's because of how merciful and gracious Christ is. That makes sense? And when we see how Christ has been so merciful to us, a sinner, then we can move toward them, a sinner, with the same kind of love, too. That makes sense? And then in that way, you can hate sin without hating sinners. Right? Okay. It kind of leads into the next question. The next question I got was, why does God have wrath? Great question. Why does God have wrath? And it's completely related uh, to the thing we were just talking about. So... Wrath. Wrath is um, not always a great conversation starter in your friend group, okay? Talking about God's wrath. um, But God's wrath is so important because we cannot make any sense of, of how God would deal with evil if we did not have God's wrath, okay? So in order for God to be what we say is just, so just, which also means right, Okay, so we we love justice, right? We want justice for God to be just, for him to be right or righteous, right? Uh, For him to uphold his holiness, his holy character. He is perfectly good, he's perfectly right, he's perfectly holy. And in order for a perfect, good, loving, holy God to uphold his goodness and his justice and his rightness, he cannot let, he literally cannot let sin go unpunished. Because if he let sin go unpunished, he would no longer be good and just, correct? Right? That makes sense. I'll give you an example. Um, an example is if you were in a courtroom and the um the guy on trial let's say he did um let's say he murdered 20 people okay all right let's say he murdered 20 people and he's sitting there and they're trying to declare the verdict on this man and the, before they declare the verdict the man says well I've been really kind. I've paid all my taxes. I love my wife. I care for my children. And I'm really trying to be better. I'm trying to be a better person. I'll learn from this. And I'll work really hard. And it was just a little slip up. It was a little slip up. And imagine, right, because you're all laughing because we can feel how ridiculous that is, and it's not that uncommon in the world for something horrible to happen like this, it would be completely ridiculous if the judge looked back and said, you know what, I forgive you, you're free to go. And his crime is not punished, and the judge just simply says, I forgive you, you're free to go. Can the judge do that and be what we would call a good judge? Of course not. Of course not. In fact, the judge would lose their job, and the judge would be considered evil, right? Because we all know the crime has to be punished. Has to be. The crime has to be punished. So now imagine we have committed sin Before not an earthly judge, we have committed cosmic treason. We have committed sin at the highest level before a holy, infinite God who is perfect in all his ways. We have broken his design. We rebel against his character. And God, therefore, has to deal with sin. He cannot merely say, I forgive you, you're free to go. Because forgiveness without punishment is not forgiveness. Because someone has to pay for that crime, right? That crime has to be dealt with or else the judge is not good and justice has not been upheld. And so go to Romans 1. Go to Romans 1. And I'll show you what we're talking about here. Romans 1.18 is a good verse for seeing the necessity of God's wrath. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed. So we know that God has wrath. Is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So what is the wrath of God for? It's against what? It's against all ungodliness, and then what? Unrighteousness. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay? So we know God has wrath, and his wrath is against ungodliness and unrighteousness. Okay? Now, go to chapter 3. Go to chapter 3. This is where the good news comes, okay? So we know God has to have wrath, but chapter 3, verse 23 and 24 and 25 show us how God can pour out his wrath on sin and unrighteousness and forgive you and give you salvation at the same time, okay? So... Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore we deserve wrath. Right? Because that's unrighteousness. So basically 23 says we are all unrighteous. And at the same time, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This word, propitiation, pro pi a shun. that's a humongous word, right? Do you know what that word means? Who wants to take a shot at it? Grant, go ahead, bud. A sacrifice, great. And the sacrifice is doing something. The sacrifice, the propitiation, is the one who is absorbing the wrath. That's propitiation. The propitiation is a sacrifice in your place to absorb all of the wrath of God instead of you. Okay, That way, the crime can be punished and you can still go free. And the one who has taken all of God's wrath is who? Jesus. Jesus is the propitiation. Jesus stands in front of you. So imagine on the cross, and you're literally behind the cross, and Jesus is in front of you, and all of the wrath that was headed for you because of unrighteousness is now completely absorbed by Christ so it's literally Jesus in your place. Therefore, the crime for your sin is punished, and you are still forgiven. So God does not just say, I forgive you, you're free to go. He says, I forgive you because your punishment will fall on Christ. And here's the thing, students. If it doesn't fall on Christ it will fall on you, right? Because if it doesn't fall on Christ before you die, then it will fall on you when you die. Because you will experience the wrath of God without faith in Christ, who took away the wrath of God for you. And so if you don't put your faith in Christ and ask him to be your propitiation, the wrath absorber then god to uphold his just and goodness justice and goodness will pour out his punishment on you in hell for rejecting the sacrifice he gave you and it's not hard to believe that god has wrath when we realize every single person in this world deserves the wrath of god right it should be more astonishing that god has mercy because what god could have done was let us all experience the wrath of god and he would have been completely right to do so but god in his mercy and wisdom and grace pours out his wrath on the son so that we don't have to experience it that makes sense okay we're running low on time so i'm going to go quick here I wanted to say something real quick. Um, let's see, I have to choose I have to choose here. Um, let's do this question because it's still personal. Why does God love me after all I've done? That's a great question, right? Why does God love me after all I've done? I'm going to answer this and then we're going to sing one more time. All right. Why does God love me after all I've done? You can feel how personal this is. And maybe you feel this way. You know how bad you've messed up. You feel like you can't get your act together. You feel like you keep stumbling, falling into the same sin over and over and over again. And stay in Romans with me and just go to chapter 5. Go to chapter 5. We're going to read verses 6 to 8. It says... For while we were still sinners, sorry, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. The answer to the question is, of how can Jesus love me after all I've done is because when Jesus goes to the cross for you, he pays for all of your sin in advance. He dies for you while you are still sinners. So he dies for you when you are at your worst. God sees all of your worst moments ahead and says, I want that. I'm going to pay for that. I'm going to go to the cross for that. I'm going to forgive that. I'm going to absorb that punishment. Because here's the reality, students. You may not yet have done the worst thing you will ever do. That could still come. And Jesus still saw it and he covered it. So, the reason he can love you even after, all, God can love you even after all you've ever done is because God is love. It's part of his character, it's who he is. And in his love, he paid for all of your sin in advance. So, now as you stumble and fall, you're not on a transactional basis with God where you are on his good side when you're doing well and you're on his bad side when you're sinning. Because now, because Christ looked ahead and paid for all of your sin in advance, it means that God loves you just as much as he loves his son, Jesus. Because all of your sin is paid for, correct? And all of Jesus' righteousness is yours. So when God looks at you, he does not see you as a nasty sinner who keeps falling apart every day. He sees you as his child whom he loves and whom he paid for by his blood. And so now, no matter what you've done, God loves you just as much now as he did when you first got saved. And he loves you just as much now as he did before you got saved because he planned to save you when he sent his son. He set his heart in love on you, Deuteronomy 10.15 says. He set his heart in love on you. Ephesians 1.3 says, In love he predestined you for adoption as his son. He loves you so much, that there is nothing you could ever do to separate yourself from the love of God. Romans 8.39 says, No, you are more than conquerors, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Because God loves you because Jesus has done everything for you. That's so good, right? Right? There's nothing you can ever do to change God's love for you. You are completely known. All your sin is known, and yet you are still completely loved. Man, that's amazing, right? This is good. This is the gospel. And if you still don't know Jesus, and all I'm saying is still foreign, and it's still like, man, I just don't have that. I don't have that relationship with Christ, and this does make sense, then just please put your faith in Christ or come talk to me afterwards about what it means to believe and follow Christ. Okay? Let's pray together. Grant, how are we going to take this board off? Do you want to take this board off you want to sing in front of it? Yeah, we'll take it off. Uh, Let me pray for us. We'll take the board off. We're going to sing one last song. Let's pray. God, we love you. We pray that you would help us to remember that we are so loved by you You have taken our wrath away. God, we can live a life of freedom. We can live a life of running to Christ, having purity. Um, Man, you're so good. You're so good to us. You're so loving. We love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise for dying in our place, rising in our place, taking our sin. And uh, we thank you in Jesus' name.